The Start On Demand. On demand. Loren has been having some problems sleeping lately. Maybe it's because of anxiety from the pandemic. Who knows? Maybe it's just the fact that there's less sunlight during the day. Well, we speak to our sleep expert, Diana McMillan from the University of Manitoba. And as always, she has some wonderful tips that are going to get you to sleep. Former Blue Bomber great Doug Brown joins us to talk about the looming CFL free agency, as well as being run off his feet by a two-year-old and a puppy. And hey, have you been bored during the pandemic? Why not build your own Viking hut? We speak to a Manitoba man who, along with his wife, did that very thing. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back from vacation next week, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, December 8th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling back next week. Producer Sky in today for producer Jeff Forte. Hello there, Sky. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Loren, it's very cold in the control room, by the way, this morning. And I was, so good. Sky, what was your theory on that? I think that the um, thermometer, wait, thermostat is a decoy to make us feel like we're in control. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working. Oh, that's fantastic. I actually feel that way about the thermostat in my house. I feel like my husband has a secret thermostat somewhere else. Like I'm just hammering on this thing in the hallway where I'm cold or hot. And then it provides some level of satisfaction. And then somewhere else, he's just controlling it from his phone or something. (laughs) That's entirely possible. That's one of the classic uh, man versus woman battles, right? Oh, yeah. Do you like roommate battles? Even I think I battled. I had that battle with a roommate for for a few years when we lived together too. Oh, really? Hot and one was always cold, and she'd come in and turn it up, and I'd come in and turn it down, and yeah. Oh, do you prefer it colder or hotter? Well, it just depends on the day. You can't read my mind, but I expect (laughs) you to. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. And we shall leave it there. Uh, On we are gonna. Reach out to our sleep expert today, Diana McMillan. We had some troubles yesterday. I guess there was a some sort of a problem with her service provider, so we'll talk to her at 8.37. But we I do need to follow up. Did you get a good sleep yesterday? Yeah, uh, no. I mean, <laughs> I fell asleep quickly. It just, it's one of two things for me. I, I either fall asleep quickly but then wake up and then I'm stuck in the, with that spinning wheel in my head or I just can't fall asleep, which... I don't know if I have a preference. So I suppose in theory, like I actually woke up at two and thought that was five hours or four and a half hours. That might be the longest stretch I've had without waking up in a long time. That's good. That's so great, actually. Progress. If I can spin it that way, sure. That, hey, that That's progress. For me, I try. I got home yesterday and I thought, should I take a nap? And I kind of thought about it and then I thought, maybe I should get up and go for a walk. But then I found myself nodding off on the couch. So I said, I'm going to try something different. I'm actually going to go to bed for this nap and I'm going to set my alarm for 45 minutes from now and naturally I hit the snooze button I think 10 times and I ended up staying there for two hours and I woke up grumpy and then I couldn't fall asleep early enough so I think I finally went to bed at nine and I had a terrible sleep so here we are we've talked about how we hate Tuesdays and uh, today is (laughs) today is indeed a Tuesday for me (laughs) so we'll, we'll have some fun with that because we're going to 
I'm gonna. Whereas I like to flip my alarm clock. Sometimes I flip the board when I'm playing a board game when I lose. But we're talking board games as well today. Why are we talking board games? Well, I think that a lot of us, and I know I have so many friends uh, on social media who are sharing uh, the games that they've been playing over the past few months, but also their efforts to try to secure new board games for Christmas, maybe for the kids or for friends. Puzzles are in hot demand. I actually have a, a friend who yesterday went to pick up uh, a, a puzzle at one of the stores in Winnipeg, and the demand was, you come get it within 24 hours or we resell it because they're flying off the shelves. We don't need wow. to wait for you to come pay for it, right? And so we're going to talk board games at 645. What are some of your favorites? It could be a board game. Maybe it's puzzles. Maybe it's even cards. You know, lots of families love cards and consider that sort of their board game night. So we'd love to hear from listeners, 780-6868, of their go-to board game or even the game they hate. Like, I've got one that just makes me roll my eyes when people pull it out because I cannot wrap my head around it. Which one is it? Settlers of Catan. Oh, <laughs> is that a game you can play in a sitting? No, I don't know. I feel like that's a that's a long haul kind oh, of game. Oh, that's like a lifetime. I feel like you come back 10 years later and your friend would still be sitting there being like, now you had the brick wall or whatever the heck they're building. <laughs> I don't. I still don't get it. But I know people love it. And then listen to this, Brett. I, I was speaking with the owner of Toad Hall Toys, and they're going to join us after eight about how they're just slammed with orders right now because because the gifts this year aren't just about like, what would maybe someone like? It's about what's going to keep you busy. What What's going to keep you occupied as you potentially face holidays with just yourself or you and one other person or however you're living right now. That's great. And Toad Hall is such a magical place. I love going in there. They have so many creative toys and gift ideas and things that you can build. And yeah, it's a really, like I, I could easily walk in there and, and spend all of the money I've ever had and be, uh, and still not have enough stuff to do. But uh, on the subject of games and of course, board games in particular, chess, uh, chess sales are surging right now. Chess boards, chess books because of that Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit. And I, you know, as I was watching that show, I was thinking, I wonder, and I, I'm, I hate to say kids should have to do something, but I kind of think that all kids would benefit from learning at the very least a basic knowledge yes. of the game of chess because the life lessons that you take away from that game um, are tremendous. Like it, te- in order to be good at chess, you have to be able to see the big picture. So because one, that's one of the reasons why I'm bad at that game because I'm I my brain just doesn't work that way where I can't see three, four, five moves ahead. But I wonder if I had started playing it when I was a kid, would that be different? And it also teaches you, I think, more than almost any other game, the devastating consequences of your bad decisions. Like if you don't think your decisions through, you pay for them like mercilessly in chess. And it also teaches you that you have to take risks to succeed. But if you're too impulsive with your risk taking, then you can uh, basically lose real bad. So yeah, the life lessons from chess. And it's just, I think it's a fun game. I wish I was better at it. Oh, I, I, I love that my, so my kids in their school, for what the kids play a lot of it, and they have a little chess club, and they've started, they've been playing it, I think, since grade one. And so we got a board a few years ago, and I had honestly never played it. It was one of those games that I just thought I couldn't wrap my head around, and I can honestly say that might still be the case now, because I've yet to beat 
either of my children, but it's fantastic that they've started to learn that, right? And I think that is one of those games when I sit and play, I think, okay, I get this. There's a there's a point to this and I can try to see myself grow throughout it. And then there's other board, board, board games where I'm like, ugh, I just don't understand what I'm doing here. So I think it just all depends on what you like to do and how you like to spend your time. Too. So, uh, like, I also don't like puzzles. No? No. I think puzzles for me... Especially like a uh, like if it's like a thousand piece puzzle, the problem I I would have a hard time walking away from it. Like I would need to once I start it, I would want to finish it, and mm-hmm. it would bother me that it was sitting there. In the meantime, when it comes to food prices, we heard Jeff Braun talking about food prices in his report. I got to be honest, I'm Loren. When I go to the grocery store, I'm in and out so quickly. That I sometimes I don't I don't even notice the price until I get to the checkout where I'll buy like three tomatoes and the price is like six dollars and I'll say six dollars for tomatoes, all right. But I'm I'm in a rush to just get out of there. So yeah. well, I'm not sure if grocery prices feel like they're on the rise because I'm also shopping. Like I, I'm buying more food in the house right now because I'm working from home. Um, there's more days where my kids are home, right? So they're snacking more. There's all sorts of things going on. So it just feels like I'm spending a ton on groceries right now but but we know the the prices did jump in the early days of this pandemic Brett and they're going to rise again you heard in the news run with Jeff Braun that new numbers show food prices could jump three to five percent next year with meat and veggies climbing four and a half to five and a half percent higher so maybe that's why you're seeing some of those items really jump I know ground beef for example it seems to be a sticker shock for me every time I go and so Canada's food price report is out this morning and Sylvain Charlebois is the project lead from Dalhousie University, and he joins us now for more. Good morning, Sylvain. Actually, you know what, Loren, that's on me. I thought we had him, and it turns out producer Sky is still uh, trying to reach Sylvain. So, <laughs> that's okay, I should have double checked. You know what? I think I might have mixed up some some uh, time zones with him because he's out on the east coast. He's in Halifax, but. Um, but I can give you a little bit of rundown of what's in this report right now. And if we get a hold of him, he can give us a bit more of the data. But I, I mentioned beef being up. You mentioned just noticing your tomatoes or some of your fruits and veggies being up. And they've actually uh, gone and taken a look at what this is going to cost us next year. So if you're like an average family of four, which they put, you know, between two adults and, and two kids in their teens, you know, this is going to cost you almost $700 more next year compared to this year, which is a pretty big chunk of change for many of us. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'll have to take a look. I'll have to take a closer look next time when I go to the grocery store. I, because I, I, I buy such simple things when I go. I, like I'll go and I'll buy a head of lettuce and I'll buy some tomatoes and maybe I'll buy a brick of cheese. But I only ever buy cheese if it's on sale. And sometimes I'll get chocolate milk. And that's it. Like my groceries are so boring because when I make myself food, it's just very simple. And then I eat takeout, honestly, well, especially for the last week, it was almost exclusively takeout, but generally there's at least two or three takeout meals in there. So I don't pay a ton of attention to what I'm spending at the grocery store. And like I said, because I go in sort of on a mission, I think it was Greg who said like, we got to treat our trips to the grocery store like we're on a mission. We got to get in and get out. So I just grab what I need. But there are, there is the occasional moment where I will actually look at the price tag because there are certain items, like I said, that I won't buy unless they're on sale. Because like, for example, a block of cheddar cheese, 
uh, can run you like 12 bucks, and then it'll go on sale the next week for $7. So that's one where I'm willing to hold the line and say, okay, I'm just going to wait on that one. But uh, when it comes to other things, sometimes I just say, well, whatever the price is, it's the price. Like I need this food item, so I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, well, there's some things like there's bread and milk and, and even your meats and your veggies. You might just say, well, I, I would like this in my house, so I'm going to go ahead and get it. But you mentioned that idea of just having to, to get in, get out of the store. I've been trying to do as much as possible, a click and collect. I have gone into some grocery stores, but for the most part, I've been trying to do my big orders online. And that's hard, too. I don't know if you've experienced that at all this year or maybe that doesn't make work for your for your lifestyle, Brett, in the sense of just living alone. But, you know, for the family, I try to do these big orders, but then you can't always, you don't see the product the same way online. And so it looks like I'm getting this big item. And then when the the beef shows up or the steak shows up or whatever roast shows up and you're like, what, that was $26 for this little <laughs> thing. I've, I've had ham show up where I've thought the same thing. I had the celery pack the other day where I thought this could not have been $6, but it was. And so because you also can't see it and touch it and, and make sure it's, what you want. I find that I'm shocked that what I spent does not get me what I, you know, you spend $300, you think you're going to have your car full of food. Yeah. And then you come home and you're like, huh, that is really not what I thought I'd be getting. And so I think there's a sticker shock there. We also have a uh, listener texting in right now, but the fact natural gas has jumped uh, in, in their case, 22%, right? So they're spending more to maybe heat their home in the months ahead. And so lots of things are going up. Yeah, that's a great observation with the click and collect it because I've never thought of that because I haven't done it because you're right. I mean, I I live alone and the grocery store is right next door. So when I need something, I will walk down and because I still end up making two to three to four trips a week to the grocery store because I can only carry so much on foot. I've made the mistake so the first time I think I went where they, they – because they make you take a grocery cart for the most part when you go to the store. So because I had a grocery cart as opposed to a hand basket, because the basket was usually – that's where I would draw the line. When the basket's full, I'd say, okay, this is about as much as I can take. But I, the first time I had a cart, I was like, oh, I got so much room here. And then when I realized, I oh, I, I, didn't, I did not think this through. I have to carry this 24-bottle – pallet of water back with, you know, four jugs of Coke and a chocolate milk and all this stuff. So I try to take as little as I can. But with when it comes to ordering it online, you're right, because you when I, I use the head of lettuce. So when you're looking at the heads of lettuce, the price is it'll be like two ninety nine for romaine lettuce. Sometimes you have this little tiny head of lettuce, and then some of them look like they, they were created in some sort of a lab. They're so big, and it's the same price. Mm-hmm. So I have that choice because I'm right there. But when you're on looking online, you have no idea what you're going to walk out with or what you're going to get loaded into your car. No, and it, or it'll say things in terms of the sizes, you know, like the the grams or whatever. And you're like, as if I've ever noticed before how much my <laughs> can of tomatoes weighs. Like I don't, I'm not looking like that, right? And so I think maybe there'll be lots of us that shop differently as we head into 2021 because you know, like like $700 for a family that that's that's a big difference maker for many. But it's also the difference between what you might choose, and that's just prices here. In the south, if you imagine, we know we've talked extensively about prices in northern Manitoba. So if we're seeing a jump on average, say, of 3 to 5% across Canada, you know in many of those northern and more remote communities, it's going to be far greater than that. And so then you're uh-huh. making the choice between, you know, um, the healthy foods and the cheaper non-healthy foods. 
say yeah, seven hundred dollars is still seven hundred bucks, right? I mean, you can do you can justify it in your head. Oh well, when you think about it, spread that out over a year, it's not that much, but all of those expenses add up, and uh, that makes a huge difference on Canadian families. So we'll have more on this throughout the day on six eighty CJOB. We've got Jeff Braun with us, Kelly Moore, producer Sky, sitting in for Jeff Fortier. I'll start us off because, while well, I have enjoyed uh, the res- seeing the resurgence of chess thanks to that Queen's Gambit show on Netflix. I do enjoy chess, but I'm terrible at it. I am actually, however, pretty good at Crokinole. So I will go with Crokinole. That is my favorite board game. I could play that for hours and hours and be your very finger happy. gets sore with that one? It so can. My finger's always sore flicking those little chips across the board. Oh, well, well then you're being too aggressive. I don't, Shocker. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do, no, don't get me wrong. I love the aggressive, the aggressive flick in Crokinole, but yes, it, it, it can take a toll on your finger. So I've, I've since developed a, a more uh, elegant approach to the game but sometimes you just gotta you gotta let her coil it back and let her rip so yeah crokinole is a great game i've never tried croca curl at the forks kelly moore what about you what's your favorite board game uh well as a kid it for sure it was monopoly uh man we had some intense games uh, back in the day uh but now probably you know when the grandkids come over for a visit uh, snakes and ladders is usually something we wind up playing oh, a lot classic and, yeah, and there, you know, there's so many different rules. Like, if you land on the same space, do you have to go back to zero, or can you be on the same space, and you know, the, and this sort of thing. So, you know, you, you kind of have to um, uh, freelance as you go along. But uh, yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it's always a lot of fun. That's a classic game. I haven't played Snakes and Ladders in years, uh, but uh, you're right. It's one of the. It, it's a game that, and it requires really no explanation, right? Like you can just look at the board and figure yeah, out you, exactly you, what's happening. Pretty straightforward, but but you do have to master the <laughs> when you slide down the stick. Attaboy. What about you, Jeff Braun? Uh, my favorite is Scattergories. Do you know that one? I I think I've played that. Uh, yeah, you roll you roll a big dice and it's the dice has all the letters of the alphabet whatever letter it lands on that's your letter for the categories and then you've got a list of categories and like it'll be like kinds of trees and then if you roll the d you got to think of a tree that starts with the letter d and then you go through like 12 of those and there's a clock running while everyone's furiously writing their stuff down and then after that you contrast and compare and you have to have an original answer too if two people write the same thing down no points for that it's it's a lot of fun and it's got i like that it's got you know a section where you're quietly thinking to yourself and then another section where you're screaming at your friends that their answers are dumb and don't work and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of our listeners is texting us at 204-780-6868 this is from heather who says my favorite board game is ticket to ride Lorraine, have you ever heard of Ticket to Ride? Yeah, I was just telling Heather that I just played it for the first time this summer, and it's a train game. So first of all, if you like trains, it's kind of cool, and you have to collect um, and play matching train cars to claim a railway route across the country. So the longer the route that you create, the more points you earn. It's it's complicated. I have to admit to playing it, and first of all, lost big time. <laughs> And then wasn't so sure I liked it, but I think that's just because I didn't know the rules. So there are just some of those games that you can't pick up really 
Like you'll pick it up, but you need to play it a few times to kind of get where it's going. But I could see liking it. It's a lot of strategy, right? So you really, you really are thinking ahead and watching what everybody else is doing. So it's a cool game. That's one of my problems with games. I, I take sometimes it takes me a bit longer than everyone else at the table <laughs> to to get the rules. Not because I'm slow or anything. I just I, I think I, I like to like read over the rule book and try to get a a feel for it and then get into it. So like, I've, have you ever been to? Um, Across the board, Jeff. I think I think we've gone there, haven't we? Together, well, I know we have gone there. Yeah, we went there on a double date that didn't work out well for either of us. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, I want to hear this story. Oh, yeah. But uh, I remember being the guy at the table where they 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 cut. You pick a game and then they bring it out and they explain the rules to you if you've never heard of it. And I was just kind of nodding like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I had no idea what was going on with that game. Loren, what's uh, your favorite? I have to admit that I like right now in our house we're playing a lot of Monopoly. The kids like that. I'm not. I'm not very good at. It. I'm not good at board games, and so I struggle to say that I actually like them unless they're more of like a team game, like a taboo. I've mentioned that one before about where, and we never even played it in our family with the board. I don't think we ever had it. We just sort of reinvented our own game and called it Budget Taboo because it was without a board. But it's about where you go, you divide into teams, and you put. Um, names into a bowl or books names of books into the bowl or whatever you want and when you pull it out you can't say what's on the paper you just have to give clues to what the name is you know so it, you if it said joe biden on the piece of paper you'd have to yell out president-elect or you know little hints and then the person would have to guess and so it's it's a it's a team game which i like more than sitting there feeling dumb for not figuring out the game so i like the team <laughs> approach to things well, that's cool and uh producer sky what about you yeah, I don't like the version of myself that I become playing anything. So, oh, really? I should just avoid it. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not pretty. Are you competitive? Yes. So you're you're like an angry, aggressive. Yeah, it's not. It's not fun for anyone. Okay. So don't invite me to play games with you. <laughs> I'm not you interested. Poor, are you a poor sport? Of course I am. <laughs> or you just Who's a good sport if they lose. Who's happy about it? Well, maybe you're like Greg. Greg texted in to say that he loves Monopoly, but no one wants to play with any, him anymore. And Greg writes, there's regular Greg and Monopoly Greg, and Monopoly Greg is not a nice guy. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb, Mackling back next week. Before we introduce our next guest, we have a text message at 204-780-6868 on the subject of board games. And this listener says, I am a new listener, first text. So welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the text. My mom introduced us to Quirkle. Good for all ages. This is from Kara, by the way. And hopefully we said your name. Is it Kara or Kara? I'm going to go with Kara. And to, to which Loretta and I both replied, I've never heard of it. Just Googling it. I said, I don't know what Quirkle is, but I want to play it just so I can say Quirkle. Yeah, it looks fun. It's a set of shapes and colors that are in different colors, and you have to kind of crisscross them or create maybe a line so that they're in unison. I don't know, but it looks like it is it is good for all ages because it's, that's a hard part too, right? Finding the right game that if you have kids, everyone can play and understand. Um, and then sometimes you have to sort of adjust the rules depending on the age groups. And, and sometimes I've ended up realizing that I never played the games properly at all. I, I'm, I tried playing Romoli again. That's another listener texted to say they love Romoli, which I loved growing up. But when I tried to play it a few years ago, I realized our family had never really been playing it properly. We just <laughs> skipped the whole poker section. Like that wasn't part of the game. Like you could do all the other sequences for the cards, but we just ignored 
the poker hand. Okay, yeah, that text from Nicole. And I also used to play Romoli with my family. My mom and I really enjoyed it. My dad and sister, not so much. And uh, eventually they'd just get bored. And my mom ended up cleaning our clocks every time anyway. <laughs> so then I would get bored and I'd want to flip the board because I hated losing. I'm much like much like you, Sky, I do not like losing. I have flipped a chessboard or two in my day. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868. And a reminder that after 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to Toad Hall Toys about the rush on board games and puzzles. But in the meantime, for weeks now, the Canadian Federation for Independent Business has been urging provincial governments to do more to help small businesses, particularly when it comes to leveling the playing field between small shops and big box stores. So I think we all know the rules by now in Manitoba under the public health order. They state that only essential items can be sold in store. If you sell non-essential items, you have to do those online or through delivery or curbside pickup. And so while we're still waiting to hear whether or not these current restrictions will be extended deeper into the holiday season, there's a new poll out today by the CFIB that shows most Canadians actually want those smaller shops to be able to open back up as long as there's some maybe restrictions in place like limitations on customers or maybe even appointments. And so we're joined now by Jonathan Allward, who is the director of the Prairie Region for the CFIB. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. Walk us through the survey. What did it tell you in terms of what Canadians are looking for when it comes to their shopping experiences? Yeah, well, we've been hearing from small business owners for a while now that they think that they can open uh, safely to their you know, staff for their customers, obviously. And how do you get there? And I think what we have been calling for is, you know, all small businesses, you know, retailers, as an example, to be able to open up on a very, very, very limited basis. You know, we're looking at about three three customers coming in at a time, just enough staff to match to make sure everyone's as distance as possible. And we basically took, you know, these principles and asked Canadians, and, and they very strongly agreed with, with that mindset because consumers feel safer shopping at small businesses than they do big box stores. And this isn't surprising. I think anyone who's been, uh, you know, crammed into uh, the checkout of a big box store, um, <laughs> you know, pre-pandemic, you probably don't feel as comfortable as you do uh, spread out at a small store, let alone everything that's going on right now. And then just to, to kind of build on that, a majority of Manitobans and a majority of Manito- uh, Canadians, for that matter, believe that small local retailers should be able to be open if they're serving a very limited, reduced number of customers at a time. Now, a few weeks ago, the government changed it so big box stores could not sell non-essentials. Did that help small businesses in any way? I wouldn't say it helped small businesses, but it certainly leveled the playing field. I don't, I don't think there are many small businesses in the province right now that are going to be, you know, facing a better odds at survival because of that decision. But it was still a good decision, if that makes any sense. And. I think, uh, too, the general public supports it as well. And we actually surveyed on just that uh, that question whether or not uh, in-store shopping at small retailers, uh, if you know, if that's closed, should you be doing the same at big box stores and leveling up playing field? And about 85% of Manitobans supported that. Um, it's actually something, if you look at Toronto and Peel, the restrictions that they're, they're seeing in on parts of Ontario, it's the opposite of what we've done in Manitoba. And they've actually let big businesses remain open strangely while they're closing small businesses. It doesn't make any sense from an economic standpoint. I I can't imagine it makes any sense from a health standpoint either. 
So that's the kind of difference between what we're seeing from province to province. And so Manitoba has helped in some way, Jonathan, with at least leveling the playing field, as you mentioned. As per your study, it also found that 86% of Manitobans thought governments should allow local retailers to remain open with limited customers. So have those conversations taken place? I know you've been pushing for that, maybe some sort of idea of limited capacity at those smaller stores or appointment uh, viewing where you could shop by appointment. Are, has there been any movement on that front when it comes to your conversations with government officials? We've been definitely having those conversations. And even last week, we discussed it with uh, one of the cabinet ministers and and I can honestly say the government's been very good about um, engaging with different stakeholders, whether you're talking about business organizations like CFIB or even individual businesses to try and find out um, what can we do to, to support small businesses right now. Um, you know, ultimately that decision is going to be up to public health, I think, but we've been trying to make the case for doing this safely. We have data that shows that, you know, even more than any other province in the country, Manitoba's small businesses are going above and beyond the rules that are in place now. They think they can open up safely on a limited basis to keep their staff and their customers safe, and they're, they're committed to that. Everyone wants to see the cases drop. Everyone wants to be part of that solution. But we think, we think that we can have our cake and eat it too in that regard if you go about it the right way. If you keep everyone as spread out as possible instead of congregating at these big box chains especially, we think that we can still save part of the holiday retail season. Jonathan Allward, Director of the Prairie Region of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jonathan, thank you for the time as always, sir. I uh, appreciate it. It is 714 on 680 CJOB. And Loren, I'm just looking at her text line here, and I see somebody who maybe disagrees with you as it pertains to the oh, Settlers of Catan. I saw that. Their favorite game, Settlers of Catan. Great family game. A lot of people play it. Okay. I'm just kidding. I know a ton of people love it. I just can't get my head around it. I can't. <laughs> we'll get into more of that. It's right like after- how I feel about Star Wars. I get it. It's popular. People like it. But my brain does not enter into that realm of fantasy thinking. Fair enough. I I will just bite my tongue and <laughs> Why do say you like it? traffic and weather. <laughs> do I like Star Wars, she says. Okay. McGarry and McNabb-Mackling back next week. Getting a lot of text messages, as it turns out, Loren, on this game, Quirkle. It was listener Kara, first-time texter, who said I love that she loves Quirkle. So we have another person here saying, love Quirkle. I must own every game made from password to ticket to ride, seconds to learn, and a lifetime to master. What makes it so special is the younger kids can play on an even field. Yes, and speaking of the younger kids, Dave texted the same morning, guys. I ordered Battleship, Lightbright, and Connect 4 for Christmas, and he cannot wait to play Battleship. I think that's so true, because and and you can't wait to play with your kids, right? That's part of the the lure of it all. You get to be a kid again with some of these games. And the fact that some of these games, that all all those games were big when I was a kid, and they'd all been around for longer. I always wanted to get the, uh, cause they've made some really fancy editions of Battleship over the years, like electronic ones where, you know, makes sound effects and stuff and it talks to you. But I, it, just the classic Battleship, it's just one of those timeless, timeless games. They did make a movie about Battleship, which was dreadful. 
Don't watch it if you ever see it on television. Don't ever be <laughs> compelled to watch it. It's awful. But the game is timeless. Connect Four is a timeless game. Yes. And it's cool to see that there is a run on the, these things for the holidays. And we're looking forward to our chat with Toad Hall. Uh, because And that's the thing. Like I, Because I live alone, I can't play board games. I don't have anybody to play with. No, I guess you could do some stuff online, right? And another one of the challenges for some of these stores right now, we just talked to the CFIB about you know small businesses. Uh, I, I spoke to two different toy stores yesterday, Toad and Kite and Caboodle, and, they're, and they're, they're inundated with phone calls and online orders, but they know that customers still miss that in-store experience, right? Like there's nothing better as an adult in my 40s to go to Toad Hall and just wander around that beautiful place and see what they've got in there. And you can't really do that right now. So you have to go in with some suggestions in mind, Brett, when you're going online and uh, kind of just have faith that the game will be good. You just, I, I mean, as much as I joke about Settlers of Catan, there's no board game that's not good. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Andrew Harris, Justin Medlock, Nick Dembski, and Stanley Bryant. They are all on the list of prospective free agents with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, that's just a few of them, Brett. There's actually 32 players in all on the Blue Bombers list, 329 in the entire league, now eligible to hit the open market on February 9th. And so, of course, the work begins for the Bombers to try and build on the team that brought home that Grey Cup in 2019. And, of course a great cup that we haven't had the chance to defend yet. So to figure out how this all works, we're joined now by Doug Brown, former Blue Bombers standout defensive tackle, and of course our current color commentator for CJOB. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're good. That's the first question I was going to ask you. It's been a while since we chatted. So how are you doing with all this as we lead up to the holiday season? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I can't complain. I get a lot of time, uh, obviously with my two year old now, and that's, that's quite the experience. So, as difficult as it can be at times, um, I'm uh, I'm pretty fortunate to get to spend the, 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 these extra moments with her. So I've got a puppy as well, so a two-year-old and a puppy. So oh boy, I get my hands full. Yeah. Can I ask if we had any of those terrible twos experience yet? Oh, every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're quite the independent little minds at that age. Hey, it's awesome. Yeah, she's uh, into possession right now, so she'll <laughs> she'll take something. You know, we'll, we'll lend her something. And then uh, she decides that that's hers. So it's uh, it's fun. A lot a lot of lessons to be taught, but uh, it's uh, it's been quite the challenge. Well, we're talking to a sleep expert at eight thirty seven. Uh, given that you have a, a little one and a puppy, how much sleep are you getting these days? Yeah, you know what? Uh, the first call I got from you guys, uh, I wasn't able to answer because she got up earlier than she was supposed to today. So yeah, it's it's been erratic. So the dog either wants to be let out at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Or uh, she just starts yelling our names so we can hear her on the baby monitor and we have to go get her. So <laughs> I kind of love all this. I'd like to continue maybe talking about the dog and the baby. Yeah. But at the same time, we do want to talk a bit about the Blue Bombers, Doug, and, and Free okay. Agency Day, February 9th. So what happens now? Does the work start now, really, to make sure we get as many of these key players back as possible? Yeah, I mean, this is no different. Obviously, COVID has changed everything. But the way it usually works is after uh, the Grey Cup, which didn't happen this year, which in my mind means the Blue Bombers are still reigning and current champions, um, you get, uh, there's a a window of time where you get an opportunity to sign your own players 
before uh, any other team has has that that chance to uh, to take a look at them. So uh, right now, all the teams now, all the players that finished on their respective franchises, uh, that team has uh, exclusive ability to negotiate with those players and uh, get them under contract for 2021. And they have obviously up until February 9th. February 9th, if you haven't re-signed somebody, it can still happen. But that's when uh, that's when these players get exposed to the open market and they have an opportunity to play elsewhere. So it's it's not usually very promising if they make it to that point. You expect to see the foundation pieces, the pillars of the football team, uh, to be put putting uh, pen to paper in the next few months. So when it's all said and done, players are going to have had an entire year off. Is that a good or a bad thing? <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you know in June or July of next year. Um, for the most part, I, I think, I mean, you never want to miss a, a year of football um, due to a pandemic, obviously. So that's very much not a good thing. But when it comes to, say it comes to a guy like Andrew Harris, uh, an older back, well, actually he's probably not happy he got a year off either because he was pushing towards all these rushing totals. But for some guys, Hey, a guy like Zach Kolaris, maybe uh, who had a history of concussions and, and injuries going up till he had his miraculous turnaround with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It could be good for a guy like that to really, you know, get some time to really heal, put everything back together and, uh, you know, become more familiar uh, with uh, the, the system that he's working in. Obviously, he did very well uh, in, a, in a short hurry for Winnipeg uh, when he was able to join the team, but it's you know, it, it's a very different call. I don't think any player would, would wish it or, or want this kind of interruption from work. Um, some of them, it, it may be a blessing in disguise in terms of being able to recover from injuries and such. But uh, for the most part, I think these guys just want to play football again as soon as possible. Well, those who did play football as quickly as they could were, were the folks in the NFL. And of course, I'm just curious, Doug, as you watch how that's all gone down there with how they've dealt with COVID, is there anything for the CFL to learn as we you know, head towards what we hope will be a season next year in terms of how things went down there and, and what maybe we can copy or not copy as a result? Yeah, honestly, I think I think it's uh, watching what's going on with the NFL right now. I think the CFL has to be consider itself very fortunate. They didn't try to go with ahead with the season in, in 2020, because, uh, you know, money is not a problem. Money is not a question. Money is not a factor for the national football league. And you can still see how many problems they are having, how many games are being moved, uh, how often players are testing positive for the coronavirus, how they're shuffling rosters, how a team has played without a feature quarterback on their roster in a game. I mean, that is absurd, right? These kind of things, uh, these adverse elements the NFL has had to deal with this year, it is just, it's taken away from the game. It's been great just to have football. I always say any football is better than no football, but it's not quite the same. You know, you get games where the outcomes are affected by which players are available, uh, you know, due to an illness protocol that they're going through. So it, uh, it's been uh, quite uh, a dance and a little bit of a circus, I would say, for the NFL in terms of managing their schedule and their rosters and such. And uh, and this is with you know testing done every single day at these uh, at these camps and in these uh, situations for these franchises. So uh, you know, if you have all the money in the world, you can throw it at it, and you still have all these problems. Then uh, you know it, it just shows how difficult a time the CFL would have had 
even playing in a bubble in Winnipeg, which uh, everyone was expecting at one point. Doug, before we let you go, we've been talking about board games this morning. Do you have a favorite board game? Board game. Wow. Um, what's my favorite board? Is is Pictionary a board game? Does that count? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that counts. I was okay. going to say you've got a little kid and a dog. Bringing out a board game is just dangerous this time of year. If she's into possessing <laughs> things, she'll just take all the pieces, Doug. Yeah, he'll chew it up, and uh, <laughs> she'll claim all the pieces, and I'll just be sit, just be stuck standing there. Game's over, I guess. <laughs> and what kind of yeah, dog? No, I, what kind of puppy? Uh, it's a Weimaraner that I that I have. So, and he's uh, he's just he's going to be a year tomorrow. So, they've been uh, tra- they've been tag teaming us. Really, is what they've been doing. It's a, it's kind of a plot against their their owners and their parents to overthrow us. So they've been successfully executing this, this plan so far. They obviously, they talk to each other. They know what's going on. It's very detailed and well executed. I'll tell you that. Doug Brown, former Blue Bomber standout and current color commentator for 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, thanks. Thank you for having me on. Have a great, have a great morning. Doug Brown joining us for Breakfast with the Bombers. Once again, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. And by the way, Loren, another uh, vote for Quirkle from Kara, who says, my favorite part of the game is getting a Quirkle and yelling out, Quirkle! You get to yell out. That's your victory call. You yell, Quirkle! Speaking of smashing, I posted a video on our 680 CGOB Instagram story of me flipping a chessboard because that's usually how that game goes. Maybe, Loren, if I want to be better at chess, I just need to do as I vow all the time and get more sleep. Yeah, well, that's part of the problem, I think, for many of us. Tempers are short, our tensions are high. We're all feeling so many different things, and we were feeling this at the start of this pandemic, Brett, and now we're eight, nine, ten months into it, and so... We're wondering this morning how Manitobans are doing with their sleep. I know mine has been terrible. And so we're joined now by Diana McMillan, who is, of course, a sleep consultant and associate professor at the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences College of Nursing at the U of M. And she's going to help walk us through some, I hope, helpful tips to maybe get me back to sleep. Diana, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm Well, as I said, I, I really am struggling with my sleep these days and, and not to make it personal, but I know we talked to you back at the start of this because that was an issue for many as we readjusted to maybe working from home or, or worse, losing our jobs and all the stresses. And now we're still sort of feeling this. And so I'm, I'm curious, can there be a layered effect to a sleep pattern when it comes to an ex- extenuating circumstances like this that just goes on and on and on? Well, I think that that is uh, precisely sort of what is happening. Um, not only, I mean, it's one thing to have sort of an acute stressful period, but this is this has uh, been a long uh, marathon here, and uh, so you know um, that cumulative effect. But the other thing is that we are um, in the you know in the dark days, right? Uh, we're at that point of our our season where um, we don't have as much sunlight, and it's a bit colder um, and uh, probably by next week it's going to be uh, even colder still so um, but there is good news and uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that in two weeks uh, it's the 22nd of December and the sun uh, is starting to head back and so our days will actually start to get a, a little bit 
uh, uh, brighter for a longer period of time, and that will help. But there are some other things for us to think about and maybe sort of just uh, regroup on in terms of our sleep because there's a lot of folks um, who are, are are really struggling. So one thing to keep in mind is that uh, this pandemic has really uh, disrupted our schedules from, um, you know, our normal rhythms. Maybe some people are staying up much later or they're getting up much later, and uh, that really impairs your circadian rhythm. So if we can try to keep to a regular um, good bedtime uh, with uh, that that will support us to get, you know, a recommended amount of sleep. And for an, an adult, eighteen to sixty-four, that's about seven to nine hours. If you're older than sixty-five, that's about seven to eight. And uh, depending on, uh, you know, whether you're a teenager, you, you probably need about eight and a half to nine and a half hours. Or if you're school age, you know, ten to eleven hours, and and more if you're younger than that. So we need to prioritize the amount of sleep that we're getting um, and offer ourselves uh, a chance to gear down, to step away from our technology, um, especially those bright blue lights uh, from our iPads or computers or even TV, um, and uh, to, to just sort of gear down um, and have that regular bedtime and wake time. Um, good exercise is also really important, and I appreciate that, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe not so bright out, but if you can possibly get a walk, uh, you know, after the sun is up, um, and even if it's a dull day, that exercise can be really, really helpful, and that a bit of light exposure is great to entrain your rhythm, but also gives you a little extra boost of vitamin D. And um, if you can't go outside for any number of reasons, try to sit by a window and, you know, do some indoor uh, yoga or lift some cans of beans, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you can, can manage. Um, but you want to have some healthy, um, sort of healthy fatigue that helps to reduce your stress, um, but also helps to support you to be, you know, pleasantly tired at night that will, uh, you know, really support you to feel sleepy um, at bedtime. And uh, so, you know, staying connected because um, that can really be part of why we can't sleep. We're feeling anxious, we're lonely, maybe really feeling sad. So staying connected socially, you know, pick up the phone, think of who you haven't talked to for a little while, you know, maybe touch base with your neighbor and that'll help them and it'll help you also. So, um, you know, there's a few things and if we can just sort of hunker down and keep safe, um, but not necessarily socially distanced, but physically distanced, um, we can get through that and then just around the corner, the days are going to start to get a little brighter and that will really help. At what point before, like, let's say bedtime is nine o'clock, what time should I power down, at least in terms of thinking about work? Can that create problems with getting to sleep? Absolutely. And so uh, for lots of us, you know, our minds are, I don't know about you, Brett, but minds are just a whirl, right? It's like a tilt a whirl. <laughs> you know, you're, you're sort of ideas flashing through your heads in terms of, oh, I didn't do that or I need to make sure I do this. So I would recommend probably 45 minutes to an hour before you plan to actually close your eyes to fall asleep. 
um, is when you need to start gearing down. So, you know, um, having a, a warm bath um, or a, a nice shower, make sure you, you know, your hair is not wet because that'll kind of make you feel chilly. But do something, um, you know, that's that's calming, that you enjoy. Maybe read a book or a short magazine or something. You know, don't put in your favorite three-hour movie or, you know, maybe read a a, a Stephen King thriller or something. But, but um, you know, do something that is relaxing. Um, you also want a quiet, dark, comfortable bedroom that's a little on the cool side. Not cold, uh, but a little cooler. And that'll actually help you to um, fall asleep as well. And make sure your linens uh, on your bed and if you're wearing pajamas, make sure they're cleaned and washed regularly because we, we sort of slough off little bits of skin and, uh, you know, the perspiration uh, at night. And those linens after, you know, a week or two um, are not as cozy and so we want to have something that is really going to be cozy and help us to slip right into a delicious sleep. I like the way you phrase that a delicious sleep Diana before we let you go are there any sleep aids that work Uh, you know people often talk about the fact that they might have to take melatonin before bed Uh, we know liquor sales are way up this year we just had that story in our news run about 23 million dollars more was spent on alcohol between April and October and I know alcohol can have terrible impacts on your sleep but are there any sleep aid tools out there that can be beneficial beyond the bath and the cold room and the clean linens? Uh, Well, actually, I'm glad you raised the issue about alcohol because that is one thing that we do want to watch, uh, and that is to limit the amount of caffeine uh, and alcohol and nicotine because those are stimulants, and while alcohol can make us sleepy, um, it actually disturbs our REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep, and so we actually don't have a very good quality of sleep, plus it's um, makes us have to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, so that's a problem as well. Um, in terms of medications, um, I really recommend if somebody is not able to sleep after they've tried these sort of sleep hygiene or sleep health strategies, that they talk to their nurse practitioner or their family physician um, to make sure that they don't have some underlying other health condition. Um, and certainly, you know, it's to be expected during a pandemic that we're, we're more stressed and anxious and we want to deal with that effectively. But there may be some other um, health conditions going on. And certainly um, I wouldn't be wanting to recommend those off the phone. And, you know, somebody really needs to go and, and see uh, someone who can do a really thorough exam before that. But these sleep health and hygiene practices are recommended by all sleep um, practitioners and, and clinicians and your GPs as the first line of attack. So while some people may end up needing melatonin or some uh, you know, short-term sleeping medications, that's not the first thing that you should go to. Um, and hopefully these sleep health strategies, including things like yoga and mindfulness or relaxation, are able to um, you know, sort of help to support your sleep. And they actually have many positive effects um, in terms of just overall well-being. So those are the first lines that, uh, that you should really try to go for. Diana McMillan is a sleep consultant and associate professor at the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences College of Nursing at the University of Manitoba. Diana, thank you so much for the time as always. Always a, tr- always a pr- privilege and pleasure to speak to you.
Oh, it's it's my privilege to take care then. Sleep well. Okay, we will try. There you go, Loren. Do you feel like maybe you've got some some tools in the kit to help you yeah. out? I had a list of things, board games to buy going. Now I have a list of things to get me to sleep. So I need some darker blinds, maybe some new sheets. I mean, you know, can I uh, sprinkle some lavender into my bathtub tonight? I don't know. <laughs> I got a lot to do. I got a lot of shopping to do. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we are very excited for this next one. And Loren... I got to confess something to you here, because what we're about to talk about, I saw this early last week on Facebook while I was off, so I probably should have passed this on to you and Greg, but uh, our guest is an old friend, so I I selfishly held off on saying anything, (laughs) Uh, because I wanted to hog it for myself. This has to do with how we've all had to come up with creative ways to pass the time over the last several months. Well, how about... Build a Viking hut. And you know what? As soon as you texted yesterday, it didn't matter if you sent it last week or this week, Brett, because I love this idea. And of course, Pedro Bedard and his wife, Wendy Spiri, they spent the summer building this Viking hut in the backyard of their St. Francis Xavier home. And they have since... Apparently, people from around the world are reaching out about it. News outlets from all over the place, like Huffington Post, The Guardian in the UK, Der Spiegel in Germany. Everyone wants to hear more about this. And so we're joined now to get more about what's going on here with Pedro right now. Good morning, Pedro. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm curious, uh, when I mentioned just some of those newspapers and other websites that have come calling. Did you imagine a few months ago when you said, let's build a Viking hut that you'd have people from all over the world reaching out? Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised my neighbors were interested. <laughs> Never mind somebody in the UK. You know? <laughs> so why'd you guys build this thing? Uh, well, you know, we, um, we've been spending uh, our, uh, in August, we go to uh, Gimli, to the uh, Eastland Dingadagarin, and we set up a, uh, with our friends from the Hands of Lou and, and other uh, Viking reenactors, we set up the Viking Village. And that's always something we look forward to. It's a great time. But, of course, last year, they or this last summer, they did it. Um, it was virtual, and there was very little going on for us. So uh, Wendy and I had been talking about it for a couple of years. You know, wouldn't it be cool if, wow, wouldn't it be fun if... And then this year, we just went, you know what? To hell with it. Let's give it a try. Even if it ends up as a bundle of sticks for the firewood, at least we can say we tried. So, so let's describe so we, this a bit for our listeners, Pedro. Like, what is it? How does it start? Like, what is a Viking hut? Is that an actual thing? And then you've worked off a replica from a website somewhere? Or, like, what does this look like? Sort of. Um, there's lots of different early medieval uh, buildings, and um, there's quite a bit written about them, except that they, they tend to focus on large buildings. Uh, people, uh, a lot of people have heard of. The, the chieftain's great hall or the long hall or things like that, but not the smaller buildings that were around it invariably. Um, and so what we did is we, uh, we had a friend of ours, uh, Nathan, he's really well-versed in, in a lot of aspects of uh, early medieval archaeology. And so he sent me a, a, a basically a, a link to a report from West Stowe in the UK. And they had, um, uh, they had, you know, an archaeological report. And the nice thing is, is they had all of the placement of the beams in the ground because they could see the rotted timbers and things like that. So we picked one of the smaller ones um, that had six, um, six beams. It was built like an A-frame. And uh, we, we went off that. And that's 
that's basically where we went with it. Um, we we did three different three different techniques. The uh, the roof, of course, is a thatched roof. The front uh, is uh, planks, which they did have wooden planks, um, and the back is something called wattle and daub, um, which is still uh, used and repaired in the UK. It's basically a lattice work of um, thin uh, wood, um, sort of woven in and out. And then what you do is you take a mixture of mud, grass, and sand, and smoosh that all in there so it makes a solid um, a solid wall. And so, so that's what we did. And when it came to actually building this thing as well, I understand that you didn't use any power tools. No, no power tools used at all. I used um, I used a handsaw that I built. Um, I've got wood chisel, um, you know, mallet that I turned on a lathe, um, that kind of thing. And uh, the only modern thing I really used were uh, were nails, because the thought of forging that many nails for the front just just made me sad. So I thought, you know what, nobody's going to see these after they rust up. Heck with it. So I just use modern modern nails. <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out for our listeners that. You've been the blacksmith at Festival de Voyageur for 30 years. And so you've got some, you know, when it comes to working with metal and all the rest, you've got a background in this. So what drove your passion to get into this stuff? Because because not a lot of people would say, they might say, I want to build this, but then they wouldn't necessarily know how, Pedro. Well, yeah, that was the thing. I mean, when I was 19, there was no such thing as the Internet. Um, and I started blacksmithing because I joined a, um, a medieval reenactment group called the Society for Creative Anachronism. And um, there was one book at the library um, called The Edge of the Anvil, um, which was sort of a, a primer on blacksmithing. And I had taken that book out so much that the librarian finally looked at me and she said, you know what, you're the only person that takes this book out. Do you want to buy it? <laughs> um, so I did, and I still have it in my library. And now you also mentioned something called The Hands of Lou. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit more about that? Yeah, Hands of Lou is a an early medieval, well, what most people call Viking era uh, reenactment group. Um, uh, the rules are fairly strict um, for uh, for costume and for equipment, um, even tented, um, that kind of thing. Um, and the nice thing is, is that if, when people are new, they come in. Um, oh, some of the older reenactors, we all have extra stuff that we can pass their way, with the understanding that. I'm lending this to you, but you got to make your own or have your own made for you. And so it builds up like that. It's, uh, it's a very, uh, it, it's really quite an encouraging um, group to be with. Have you slept in it? Like, have you, beyond just, to, what have you done in it? You hang out, have, is it like now a shack for drinks or like, what, what, what's the plan for this thing? <laughs> it's, not, it's not that kind of thing. Well, actually there's, there is a bed and we have slept on it. Uh, my wife made a, um, made a, uh, basically a straw mattress for it. Um, which isn't as uncomfortable as you might think. Uh, I made a table in there. There's a little, uh, there's a stool. Uh, I've got cups, uh, wooden bowls. Uh, I had made shelves based on, um, uh, based on uh, uh, archaeological examples from a, a find called Hedeby in Scandinavia. And so we, now we've got little shelves to put stuff on. And, you know, we're just doing the homey little touches. So, yeah. Yeah, we slept in it. We hung out in it. It's um, yeah, really nice. Is it winterproof? Um, it the wind gets through it. Um, the thing is that I mean, we use a lot of uh, prairie tall grass for the roof, and we realized that it it it's not quite enough to keep out uh, the wind. It'll keep out the the rain is actually pretty good. Um, 
it's it's been rained on several times and it's it's nice and dry under there um and now no we haven't had much of it um so we'll see what happens when when we get a real manitoba snowstorm and uh, now i'm kind of interested in finding out what's going to happen at that point so we know that you've gotten a uh, reaction from around the world with you know the the Guardian in the UK, newspapers in Germany, Huffington Post reaching out, but you said you didn't think the neighbors would even be interested, let alone people around the world. What have yeah. the neighbors said about this uh, <laughs> this oh, hut in not, your yard? Not much. Uh, well, one of my neighbors, they're they're uh, they're inside a lot. Um, she's not she's not overly well, so she doesn't want to risk COVID. And our other neighbors are um, uh, they, their house is up for sale, as a matter of fact, and uh, they they've moved to. Um, uh, um, somewhere in southern Manitoba, I can't remember where, um, to be closer to her dad. So it's it's a very quiet little little street I live on. Um, there's only about seven houses in the area where I live, so it's pretty quiet. The deer, on the other hand, are very interested in it. <laughs> have, have they taken any any parts of it away? <laughs> no, you know what? The grass is dead, so there's really nothing for them. And there's there's way more to eat around like uh, for them. But we do get birds nesting up inside uh, the the roof cap sometimes. I got to take a stick and sort of scare them away. I don't want them nesting in there all winter. So before we let you go, we did ask about uh, it's winter proof. Does that mean you are planning to spend a night or two in there in the winter? That's the plan. Of course, I'll be I'll be sleeping in a um, in a, a very thick army sleeping bag. Um, so just just to cheat a little bit. Okay. So you're gonna have the bed made of straw, but you won't like have a straw blanket or whatever would have been used well, like, back then. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's enough wool blankets that'll keep me warm in minus 35. <laughs> well, Pedro, listen, man, this is really, really cool stuff. And uh, congratulations on all the, first of all, on, on achieving the goal of building this. I mean, you guys came up with an idea and and made it happen. And uh, this is, I think this is just extraordinary stuff. So thank you for taking some time to talk to us. Great to talk to you again, bud. Hey, no worries. Thanks for your interest. Pedro Bedard and his wife, Wendy Speary, spent the summer building themselves a Viking hut in their backyard. And uh, he's got some pictures up on his Facebook page, so I will snag some of those and throw them up on our 680CJOB Instagram account if you want to see them. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, by the way, uh, because we, you can get all the news and information on our Twitter and on our Facebook. But on Instagram is usually where we tell you what's coming up in the show, or if you just want to see nonsense like me flipping a chessboard that's usually where you'll find it on instagram oh uh, speaking of vikings i gotta tell you um the next the second half of the final season of the show vikings dates it makes its debut on history on new year's day we talked about it on the couch potatoes that it was coming to prime video first on december 30th and we were wondering what's happening with canada well canada will get it as of new year's day on history one of the best shows on tv Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.